0: Hi, guys, and good morning. Welcome back to the Mystery and Comedy Old Time Radio Podcast. Please welcome to the show, to chill our spines this morning, three famous actors who played monsters in such movies as Frankenstein, The Invisible Man, and a doctor who had a very suspicious way of creating new humans made out of wax please welcome the three monsters to chill our spines this morning to continue spooktober part three mr boris karloff mr vincent price and mr Peter lori in the monsters tell the story part three in this first episode starring mr Boris Karloff, he plays a doctor who has done many experiments on many different types of animals. The only one he has not done it on is a human. So his wife is very reluctant about being one of his experiments, even if she had passed away. And with a strike of luck, the doctor gets his wish and performs his experiment on his wife, bringing her back to life. And it is called Death Robbery from the old-time radio show Lights Out. And in this next episode, starring Mr. Vincent Price with Mr. Claude Raine, we find a newspaper man one day talking to a sergeant about the murders that have happened in that town. As we go through the story, unfortunately for the newspaper man, he does not know that the murderer is closer than he thinks. And in this final episode starring Mr. Peter Lorre, he plays a man who has had a very dramatic childhood his mother had passed and his father was not in the pictures so he was brought up by his aunts his aunt and uncle so he lives with his aunt and uncle until he reaches adulthood and finds an activity that he really enjoys killing innocent helpless animals and ends up doing the unthinkable by kidnapping a wealthy woman and the title of Mr. Vincent Price's episode is called The Hands of Mr. Altimo and Mr. Peter Lorre's episode is called nobody loves me. I hope you guys enjoy Mr. Boris Karloff, Mr. Vincent Price, and Mr. Peter Lorre in the Monsters Tell the Story Part 3. If you like the show please comment and subscribe guys and always remember to enjoy the show. Thanks.
1: Chick injector razor made by Eversharp, manufacturers of Eversharp chick injector razors and blades, and famous Eversharp precision writing instruments.
2: Hideous things come out of the darkness to prowl the tortured earth. Evil hands stretch forth to seize, evil eyes are watching. Unholy voices whisper and quarrel in the fearful silence. Death stalks, loathsome, horrible death. Dare you put out your lights and listen to Boris Karloff and the story of horror in the deepening darkness? Dare you listen to... Lights Out! I'm glad you brought up the question of ethics, Ed. Sometimes I think science is too ethical, stands in the way of research. Mm, I don't know, David. Take your work, for example. It's wonderful, but you have to be very cautious. I think working with monkeys is about as far as you should go right now.
3: Oh, but, Ed, David has passed that stage. Why not show Ed the one you worked on today,
2: darling? If you'd like to see it, Ed, it's right in the lab. Yes, I would. I saw it last night after you injected the poison. (laughs) I'll get it, David. Thank you, dear. It's in the second cage. Mm, Ruth's a wonderful girl, David. Must be a big help to you in your work. Don't know what I'd do without her. But if she ever gets too interested in pure science, (laughs) I'm going to lock her out of the lab and just make her go back to being a wife. (laughs) How do you find time for a wife? Now, look here. All you practicing surgeons think the research man is a machine. Not me, Ed. Ruth means more to me than all the discoveries I might make. Her happiness is all I live and work for. Well, I can't say that I blame him. She's a very charming person. Here he is. Same one you saw last night, Ed. Stone dead. And there he is, just as healthy and alive as any other monkey. Why, it's amazing, David. Naturally, I followed all the experiments along this line, but you seem to have progressed much farther.
4: David can't go any farther with animals. He's ready for the next step. And he can do it.
2: Well, I'm all for research, David. But you have a moral obligation in this sort of thing. How do you know it'll work with human beings? Oh, you're a surgeon yourself, Ed. You know that human beings are animals just like all the subjects I've used. I know it'll work. Well, knowing it won't get you far with society. You'll have to submit proof. I know that. And I've tried every way I can think of to get a human being to demonstrate on. You've
4: tried insane
3: asylums, penitentiaries, everywhere.
2: No one will listen to me. Well, in a way, you can't blame them. Even to me, with my training, the idea seems, well, blasphemous. My dear Ed, you can't stop scientific progress because of a so-called moral concept.
3: Besides, what could be less blasphemous than to triumph over death?
2: (laughs) I'm sorry, but I can't see it that way. I wouldn't want to try it on me. When I'm dead, I want to stay dead.
3: Oh, that foolish Ed. Well, if I die first, I want David to use me for a subject.
2: Ruth, don't look so startled, Ed. She's always been my strongest supporter. But I'm not going to use her as a subject. I like her too well as a wife. (laughs) Still, it gives me the shivers to hear you talk that way, Ruth.
4: Why? I've seen David's work grow to where the technique is perfect. Before long, his experiments will be recognized by the whole medical world. And if I can help him achieve that goal, I'm willing to do anything. Living or dead. I
3: mean it. <laughs>
2: said she wanted to do it, Ed. Living or dead. David, you're surely not going to hold it tonight. Not now. Of course I am. She meant it. But... I called you over here tonight, Ed, because I need help. Don't tell me that... But I, I want you to help me bring Ruth's... To bring her here. That's exactly what I mean. David... Will you help me? Or must I bribe some stranger? David, why don't you give this thing up? It's... it's inhuman. Ed, if I succeed, I'll have Ruth back. Don't you see how much it means? Well, yes, if you're successful. Oh, I've no doubt about that. Look, I've got my laboratory record. 714 times I performed the experiment on guinea pigs, rabbits, monkeys. 714 times it's been successful. Don't you see? But, David, this is no laboratory experiment. Ruth was your wife. She is my wife. The only woman I ever loved. That's why I want to bring her back here and start her breathing and living again. There's an ugly name for what you're asking me to do, David. I know. Grave robbery. But there's a better name for it, Ed. Death robbery. We'll rob old man death. Mm -hmm. the door shut. Uh, on the operating table. I must say you are completely equipped. It's surgery just as well as a lab. Everything we need is here. There. Well, it's done. Not yet. You mean you want me to stay? Ed, listen. Ever since Ruth. Well, I guess I've leaned on you for everything. I won't ask you to stay, but I do need you. Just a little longer. All right, David. I'll stay. Ruth will be the first to thank you when we succeed. David, I'll always doubt this until I see Ruth living, breathing, smiling again. It won't be long. just a matter of 15 or 20 minutes. If nothing happens. What will you do if your operation doesn't work? Then you have just one more job to do as my friend. And that? would be to bury both of us. Oh, now, look, David. If Ruth isn't alive again within a few minutes, I'll have lost her forever. And I'll have proved that my whole life's work is useless. I'll have reason enough to use any of a dozen tricks that any good surgeon knows. End the whole business. Oh, but don't look so horrified, Ed. We won't fail. Let's begin. I should remind you once more, David, that you're usurping powers that belong to... God Almighty. I like to think that Providence has wisely held back the knowledge of things like this until we knew how to use them, and I know how. Hand me that large beaker. All right. I'm not going to back out on you, David. What shall I do? Do. you work as you haven't worked in surgery before. Thank heavens I've got your skill on my side. Now then, first strap this big manometer on her arm. I just happen to think of something. Keep moving. This is all a matter of timing. But, but David, me your instrument. I want the incision right here where I'm shaving the hair. Make a small incision just at the fontanelle while I prepare the solution. David, have you considered? Please work fast. But Dave, what? She was embalmed, you know. Of course I know that. I have something to replace the blood and, and counteract the fluid. That's ghastly. Finish the cut. I know what I'm doing. Well, that's all for the incision. But after all, It'll work nice. Now cut away the duramata. Entirely? Leave the brain exposed? Oh, yes, yes, I'll fix that. I've done it 700 odd times. This, this is no guinea pig or monkey. Well, I hardly need reminding. Sorry. What's that? A compound I've synthesized myself. What is it? I call it digamma paradiamine. Oh, I know that isn't chemically correct. but It's as close as I can get to it. I knew that something like it must exist took three years to crack it down. It took me that long to make the first drop of it. You know what you're doing, all right. Yes, I do. Now, then, if you're finished, take the leads from that storage battery there and attach the positive to the silver plate on the shelf. Put that at her feet. I feel as if I were doing something unholy. Place the tip of the negative in the incision you made in the skull. Be sure the tip of the wire actually... actually penetrates the Piamata. David... What if you bring her back? I will bring her back. But what if you bring her back and find she comes back without her soul? What? Her soul? Yes. You're a surgeon and you believe in a soul? Well, I hesitate to say there is no such thing. You've seen a good many deaths, haven't you? Have you ever seen any evidence that the soul escapes at death? Perhaps I couldn't recognize the evidence. But put it this way, then. If there is any soul, it either leaves the body or stays with it at death. Now, no reputable surgeon or physician has ever been able to report the slightest evidence of the soul's having left the body. So, the soul, if there is a soul, must stay with the body, a part of it. I'm ready now. If you've finished. Everything's set. Good. Close that switch, then, at the battery. Watch the meter and keep the current between plus and minus five of 150 the rear sat on the edge of the table. All right? All right. Now, I'm going to inject ten cc's of adrenaline in the brachial artery. Adrenaline? Adrenaline and something else. There. God, she's beautiful, Ed. Yes. She was. She is. You'll see her in a few minutes, just as she was. I wonder what you'll have to tell us. Nothing. Death is only a transcendental sleep. Do you really believe that, dear? Oh, well, what's the difference? How's the current? Let's, Let's see. What? Let's jump to 180. Good. Bring it back to 150. That's the result of the injection. On a dead body? <laughs> Let's say suspended animation. There are still a few things in surgery you don't know, aren't there? I never I dreamed of a reaction that. like that. I'll show you more. Help me swing this lamp over here. But... Let the ammeter go. It'll hold steady for a minute now. But it might jump No, it won't. I've been all through this before. The reactions are exactly the same as the others. Understand? this lamp? X-rays? No, it's a modification of the cathode ray. And just another of my developments. I call these theta rays. Why do you call them that? Well, most rays are named for the first few letters in the Greek alphabet. Alpha, beta, gamma, and so on. Well, that explains Theta. Didn't you say a Theta? Yes. But Theta was called the letter of death by the ancient Greeks. Well, that's right. It was the first letter in the word Thanatos. Death. I see. A Theta without death. (laughs) Maybe I was too sentimental. Maybe. At least human for once. Let's not argue. Here goes the ray. Now, quickly, the solution. Inject No, pump it. I built this pump especially for it. There's the pump, switch head.
5: Here?
2: Yeah. Turn it on and watch the ammeter. Okay. It's jumping. How far? 155. There it go. 160. 170. Hold it there. It'll stay there now. Listen carefully. Yes. As soon as I turn off the pump, I want spigma readings. But there won't be any blood pressure? Wait and see. Give me a reading each time I ask for it and take them carefully. You ready? Oh, this is fantastic. I'm ready. Okay. Reading. It's zero. Diastolic Diastolic. That's all right. It will take a few seconds. Now. Forty. My God. Diastolic. Hurry. Zero. My aortic valve is still open. I'll turn off the ray. Reading. Forty-eight. Over forty-two. David, not yet. Now the stopwatch. Seven seconds after I say go, I want this systolic. Now you have it? Right. Ready. Now go. Sixty. Go. That's what it should be. Lord. Look at my hands. I don't wonder. Oh, darling, just a few more minutes. All right, Ed. Now the ray again. We'll know the answer very soon.
1: The second act of Lights Out starring Boris Karloff will follow in just a moment. But now listen to the sweetest shaving song ever written. Push, pull, click, click. Changes blades that quick. Push, pull, click, click. With the Eversharp Schick Injector Razor. Yes, it clicks for men everywhere. Because the Eversharp Schick Injector Razor is the world's one and only razor with the automatic blade changer. No blades to unwrap. Fingers never touch the blade. Just push, pull, click, click. And a keen new blade is automatically locked in correct shaving position instantly. It clicks because the Eversharp Schick Injector Razor makes shaving 50% faster, 100% safer, 200% smoother. Just try the Eversharp Schick Injector Razor for one week. See for yourself the difference. It's a $1.75 value. Special now, only $1.25, complete with 20 blades. For the shave of your life, the rest of your life, switch to an Eversharp Schick injector razor. Get yours tomorrow. Push pull, click,
3: click.
1: Buy an Eversharp Schick.
2: How long do you use the ray this time, David? Not long. Give me a reading. Sixty-eight. Over sixty-seven. Now. Seventy. Diastolic. Sixty-eight. Now. David. One hundred and eighteen. Seventy-six. Close. Now. Hundred and twenty. That's it. 80. The status quo. Quick. Here. Listen. She's all right otherwise. As far as I can tell, respiration's normal. Pulse just a tiny bit fast. And reflex is slow, but apparently all right. David, I... I feel I must apologize to you. Apologize? Why? Well, for doubting you, I suppose. (laughs) You'll learn to believe me. Very calm in the face of all this. Do you realize that you've performed a miracle? A miracle? I have brought my wife back to me. As I promised her. It's... It's an unholy holy thing, but... But we've conquered death. Is that unholy? We have conquered death. May God forgive us. She'll only wait now. How long has she been asleep? Let me see. Eleven hours. She hasn't spoken at all? Not since that first scream when she fell asleep. Have you given her anything? Just a few cups of brandy. Have you tried to wake her? No, but... I think I'll try now. No, wait a minute before you do. Why? Well, I... I hate to keep harping on this business about a soul, David. I realize this is no place for a philosophic discussion, but I can't help wondering why Ruth screamed when she first came back to life. I think there's a logical explanation. After all, it must have been a physical shock. Mm, That's true. It must also be true that there was a great mental shock involved. I think that's why she screamed, and I'm wondering whether there's been a permanent effect on her mind. As long as i afraid to think of it, i so... Oh, you're simply borrowing trouble, Ed. I've never seen any sign of permanent damage in my other experiments. Don't forget that Ruth was a human being. Well, there's only one way to find out. I'm going to wait. You're, you're not afraid? You're afraid? Of what? Ruth. Ruth. Wake up, darling. Ruth, dear, it's David speaking. Wake up, dearest. Ruth. Ruth. Ah! Oh, dear darling, no wonder it's scared of poor girl. Ruth, it's, it's David, dear. I kept my promise and you're alive again.
3: I'm
2: Oh, you're all right, honey. It's David, you're...
3: David, David. What's <laughs> God, oh. is no no
1: <laughs>
5: You'd better
2: go out for a little exercise now. I'll stay here with her. I'll stay while you go out and walk around a bit. You've been there with her since 8 o'clock last night without any letter. Go on, I'll stay. Ed. I know, old boy. I'd give anything myself if we could undo what we've done, but... Ed, what can I do? Well, there may be something. Let's try an experiment when she wakes up again. What kind of an experiment? Well, let's see if we can talk to her get her to say anything. If we can get a flicker of intelligence, maybe we can teach her. Build up from a small fragment. Maybe it might work. I'm going to wake her up and try well, it. Well, not now. Why don't you take a walk? Relax a little. And get something to eat while you're out. Eat, court. I can't eat. I'm eat. going to wake her. Ruth. Ruth. David. Why not let her sleep? Hello. She's waking Hello. up now. Ruth. Hello, Ruth. Are you waking up?
3: <laughs> Poor, Poor child. Poor child.
2: There. She repeats after me. A little. Maybe it will work, Ed. Ruth. Ruth.
3: David.
2: David. It works. Seems to. Ruth, say I want a glass of water.
3: Seems to. <laughs> I
2: want a glass of water. water. It's too long for a... Ruth. Say, Ruth. Ruth. Loves.
3: Ruth.
2: David.
3: David. <laughs> Ruth. Loves
2: David. loves David. Ruth loves
3: David. Ruth no, loves no, David. Ruth no, loves no, David. Ruth no, loves no, David.
2: Maybe. But what is she thinking? I don't know.
3: I no. not Stop it, stop it! Wait a minute, old man too much
2: tired as you are. Go on I'll take a little walk, and I'll work with her for a while.
3: Stop. Your
2: nerves won't take much from this. Oh, I guess Stop. you're all right, Ed. I can't take it off.
3: I'll
2: be right there. Fine, fine.
3: Uh-huh. I'll take good care of him. and see what I can find out. Be patient.
2: Uh-huh. Don't worry. I uh-huh. will. Right. And you get something to eat while you're out. All right, I'll try. <laughs> Poor guy. This is really rough on him. Rough
3: on him. right. <laughs> We're <Yeah. laughs> <Yeah. laughs> oh,
2: kidding ourselves. There's nothing there. She's a parrot. Stop. Never mind, Ruth. Ruth, put down that scalpel.
3: Scouple.
2: Don't hurt yourself.
3: Ruth, stay away. Don't <laughs> put it down. Think of David. David!
2: get something and fix you right up. No, wait. No use. Now, oh, look. Doctor. Artery. No hope. Ed. Yeah. All right, doctor. Your diagnosis is correct. A minute or two left. Who's hiding? Watch out. No, no soul. Shoot kill you, too. What have I done, Ed? Everything I've done is wrong. Wonderful technique, Doctor. Congratulations. What about soul? Ed. Ed. Ruth. She's somewhere in the house. What if she gets out? A scalpel in her hands. get enough damage. Ruth. Ruth. Basic, I'd better take a gun. yourself wrong. Well, I've been busy in the lab. No no, there's nothing new. Just an experiment. No. like so many experiments it it just didn't work out. <laughs>
1: Eversharp Schick has just presented Boris Karloff in the first of the new series of mystery and terror stories, Lights Out. In just a moment, we'll tell you about next week's story. But first, no matter what kind of razor you use now, here's a challenge. There's a better, easier, faster way to shave. Eversharp Schick injector razor has banished forever 90% of the nuisance that makes shaving such a chore. Ends nuisance number one no time wasted. Eversharp Schick Injector Razor has been proved at least 50% faster. Ends nuisance number two, it's safer. Patented guard bar prevents skin irritation, even under nose. Eversharp Schick shaves clean and smooth without skin irritation. Ends nuisance number three, nothing to take apart or put together. World's easiest razor to clean. Just rinse, shake, put away. Ends nuisance number four, no blades to unwrap. Fingers never touch the blade. Just push pull, click, flick. Because Eversharp Shicks the world's one and only razor with the automatic blade changer that locks a keen new blade, the world's sharpest blade in correct shaving position instantly. Yes, it's 50% faster, one hundred percent safer, two hundred percent smoother. So for the world's quickest, easiest, cleanest shave, change to Eversharp Shick Injector Razor. It's a dollar seventy-five cent value, but special now for only one dollar twenty-five cents complete with twenty blades. Buy yours tomorrow. Next week, Lights Out will bring you a story about the undead, the vampires who are doomed to wander alone through all eternity, seeking the blood of innocent ones. Be sure to listen next Wednesday night at the same time. Lights Out is produced and directed by Bill Lawrence. The script is by Paul Pierce and Willis Cooper. This is Ken Niles speaking for Eversharp, manufacturers of Eversharp chicken-jecture razors and blades and famous Eversharp precision-writing instruments. For birthdays, weddings, anniversaries, and business gifts, remember the best gift of all is an Eversharp C.A. pen. Buy yours tomorrow during the sensational Eversharp C.A. pen sale. Buy now and save as much as 60%. This is ABC's American Broadcasting
6: Company. In just a moment, Autolight presents Suspense with Claude Rains and Vincent Price. More coffee, Ah, oh, I believe not, Hap. And I want to thank you and Mary for a marvelous meal. A delightful, delicious, d- lovely dinner. <laughs> You're more than welcome, Arno. I... Uh-oh, here comes Mary with that who's going to wash the dishes looking awry. <laughs> uh, you better start <laughs> talking about Autolite resistor spark plugs and fans. Ah, yes, of course, Hap. Autolight resistor spark plugs. Uh, As I was saying, right now, by Cornelius, is the time when all good men who know good things will come to the aid of their cars with a set of brand new wide gap auto light resistor spark plugs. Why, with their wide spark gap, those auto light resistor spark plugs do things for a car your old narrow gap spark plugs just can't match. Why, they're marvelous. They're magnificent. By Cornelius, they're matchless. You're sparking, Harlow, but uh, let's switch to suspense.
7: Auto Light, and its 60,000 dealers and service stations bring you radio's outstanding theater of thrills. Starring tonight, Mr. Claude Rains and Mr. Vincent Price in Anton Leder's production of The Hands of Mr. Ottermore. A tale well calculated to keep you in suspense.
8: Tell me, Sergeant, yes? uh, why do you think the Strangler killed the five times he did? Six times, Mr. Newspaper Man. Six? Yes. Oh, well, I suppose you do know as much about the Strangler as I do. Uh, how long have you been on the police force, Sergeant? This is my
9: 15th year as a member of His Majesty's Metropolitan Police, Mr. Newspaper Man. Huh. For 10 years, I walked the beats of the Casper Street Station, and for the past five years, I've been a sergeant of that station. In 15 years, you learn a lot about many things, including murder.
8: Oh, yes, murder. It's a word and a deed which has fascinated more people than you and I could count. <laughs> By all means, Sergeant, let's talk about murder. You'd think there'd be little murder
9: in such a district, wouldn't you, Mr. Newspaperman? Murder for a bit of Henning? A cup of tea? Nothing there to take except lives. And it was there that the Strangler came to practice his grim trade. Already it struck twice. Once on Lagos Street, once on Breen Street. His strong, white hands reaching for an unexpected throat. Then he vanished into the darkness, leaving behind something that once had been a living, breathing human. What was his gain? Perhaps no more than the satisfaction of a job. Well done. Perhaps he felt he'd done some poor devil a favor, that a sympathetic force led him to his victims the same as a cyclone picks one corner and misses another. I was thinking about that the night I first met you, Mr. Newspaper Man. I was walking down Mallon End when I saw you, standing in the shadows.
8: Good evening, officer.
9: Uh, Stand where you are.
8: Who are you? From the Daily Herald, officer. Oh, Newspaper Man, eh? What are you doing here? Oh, looking for a story. Are you expecting to catch the strangler, officer? What would you know about the strangler, Mr. Newspaper Man? <laughs> Only that he likes your district and that you have no idea who he is. That's right. He
9: could be anybody who's about in this district at night. Perhaps even a newspaper man. Oh,
8: you suspect that I might be making my news before I write it? <laughs> and I shall keep that in mind for dull days. Good night, sir. All right. <laughs>
9: I watched you, Mr. Newspaperman, as you walked away. Watched and thought of the force that moved the strangler. About the same time, that force, whatever it was, brought the strangler to Mr. Wybrow, an honest worker whom I've seen so many times I can tell you nearly exactly how he spent his last few minutes on earth. I know the very sound of his footsteps. Almost his every thought. And I can hear the footsteps of the man who followed him. It was six o'clock of an evening and Mr. Wybrow was going home from work. He stepped off the tram at High Street and Mallon End and walked slowly, wondering if his missus would have herring or haddock for his tea. It was a wretched night. And he could taste the fog in his throat, feel the dampness through the soles of his shoes. He turned down Lagos Street and the footsteps behind turned with him. And so, one behind the other, the two men walked through Lagos and turned into Loyal Lane. Any man other than Mr. Wybrow might have heard some warning in the footsteps that followed him. Something that said, Beware. 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 No. The foot of a killer falls just as quietly as the foot of any other worker. But those footfalls were bearing a pair of hands to Mr. Wybrow. And there is something in hands. Behind him, even then, those hands were flexing themselves, feeling the strength run down through the strong fingers. Mr. Wybrow was almost home. He turned down Casper Street, plodding along through the dim light... Small dog barked at the figures. Voices drifted out from the shabby houses, but Mr. Wybrow paid no attention to them or to the steps which followed him. Ahead of Mr. Wybrow was his own house, and he walked a little faster. Maybe it looked like he was going to get away, but the man behind only smiled and followed at the same pace. Mr. Wybrow turned in at his own gate and opened the door. He stepped inside. Yes. What's for tea, Flossie? Harry,
10: you're lucky
9: to be getting that. Who's that? How do I know? Before I've opened the door. If it's a collector, he can just
8: nip off. Well, what? And
9: that is how Mr. and Mrs. Wybrow became the third and fourth, but not the last, victims of the strangling horror.
7: For suspense, Autolite is bringing you Mr. Claude Rains and Mr. Vincent Price in radio's outstanding Theatre of Thrills, Suspense.
6: Say, Hap, let me tell you about a foolish fellow who got the outside of his car all dolled up with doodads, trinkets, foxtails, and whatnots. All right. And then by Cornelius, he comes a lugging up the avenue with misfiring spark plugs and his engine sounding like a stut-stut-stuttering teapot. ha, <laughs> ha. Hey, friend, I yelled at him, why don't you switch to a set of those smooth-firing auto-light resistor spark plugs and make that bus of yours sound as fancy as it looks. And what did he answer? This guy said to me, plugs is plugs. Well, auto-light resistor spark plugs, I corrected him, are different. They've got a 10,000-ohm resistor ignition engineered right into the spark plug that permits the auto-light resistor spark plug to maintain a much wider spark gap setting. This extra wide gap, friend, lets your car idle smoother. Gives you better luck with lean gas mixtures. Actually saves gas. What's more, auto light resistor spark plugs cut down spark plug interference with radio and television reception. Pipe that. Barrett's telling him. Wow, he says. Can you back up all that sales talk? Ah, listen, pal, I told him. These are just a few fine and fancy facts. And what's more, those wide gap auto light resistor spark plugs are one of over 400 automotive, aviation, and marine products world-famous for their Autolite-engineered
7: dependability. Then one, honor I'll tell you the rest after suspense Hap. And now, Autolite brings back to a Hollywood soundstage Mr. Claude Rains and Mr. Vincent Price in The Hands of Mr. Ottermole, a tale well-calculated to keep you in suspense. Sergeant, did you ever stop
8: to wonder at the pranks of fate? Mr. Wybrow died at the one moment when there was no one around to witness his death. That's true. A few minutes earlier, perhaps a few minutes later, there were people on the street. Think how different it might have been if, uh, if you had arrived there earlier than you did. Perhaps, Mr. Newspaperman, but
9: I had finished my evening tea and was walking through Casper Street to the station. Mr. Wybrow was still lying on the door of his house, his wife on the floor a little beyond him. Both were dead. I blew my whistle. And the constable came on the run. We searched the house, then talked to the neighbors on either side. Nobody had heard anything except Mrs. Wybrow's scream. And they thought that, just a family fight. was no sign of anything but brutal murder. While we waited for the ambulance, I suddenly remembered something. Smithers? Yes, sir? Just before I found them, I saw you standing at the end of the lane. What were you up to there? I thought I saw a suspicious character mucking about there, sir, and I was keeping an eye on him. Suspicious character be blasted. You don't want to look for suspicious characters. You want to look for murderers. Yes, sir. Think we'll get him, sir? Well, just between you and me, Smithers, I have my doubts. With a man who kills to get a few bob, you know he's going to keep on because as soon as he's broke, he'll slosh another one. But a man like this... You don't know when he'll strike again. Or if he'll strike again. Back at the station, the newspaper men were waiting for the story, having scented it, the way dogs will smell out the fresh track of a fox. There was one newspaper man, tall, with shoulders and arms, that looked more like a coal heaver than a journalist, who kept asking about clues as though he wanted to solve the case himself. That was you. Mr. Newspaper Man, or maybe you just wanted to find out how much we knew. After the Newspaper Man left, I was in my office uh, finishing up my report when there was a knock on the door. Who's there?
8: Oh, do you mind if I come in, Sergeant? Oh, it's you. Yes, I, I thought of a few more questions I'd like to ask
9: you. No, it seems to me you are around all the time. So? Yes, And now you want to ask more questions. I'm afraid we can't give out any more information than you already have.
8: half a minute, Sergeant. All the papers are going to do a regular story on the strangling monster. I thought I'd like to do something different, uh, more of a mood piece. Now, you look like an intelligent man, Sergeant. Thanks. I, I thought you might help. Well, maybe I can, maybe I can't. What do you want to know? What sort of a man do you think the killer is? You really think he's a monster who can slip through the night without being seen? No, no,
9: I think he's probably a very ordinary man. Everyone, even our own constables, is looking for a monster instead of the man standing next to them. No, this man can move about and no one sees him because he's an ordinary man and it's ordinary for him to be around. He, he might be a bootblack, the man who makes deliveries, or even a policeman. <laughs> or a journalist.
8: Why do you say that?
9: I don't think I meant anything personal, Mr. Newspaper Man. I meant that he is merely someone you look at and never think that maybe he might
8: strangle someone. Well, your theory is very interesting, Sergeant. And do you also think that you'll uh, catch him? Well, if he's caught, short of actually catching
9: him in the act, it'll be because of only one thing. Oh, and that is? Curiosity.
8: Curiosity?
9: Yes. He'll be nabbed if his curiosity is too great. If he wonders, how near others are to him. If he has to ask questions and then returns to ask still more questions. Later that evening, I went out into the district visiting beat after beat. The presence of the killer, the straining horror, was in the air. The entire district was given over, not to panic, for London never yields to that, but to fear of the unknown. And while the community still gasped over the deaths of Mr. and Mrs. Wybrow, while fear was moving into every tenement, the killer made his next move. Conscious of the horror caused by his hands, and as hungry for more as any giddy girl at her first performance in the music hall, his hands... Reached out again. Well, I was cutting through Cleming Street when I saw you again, Mr. Newspaper Man. You slipped along the street, peering into alleys. Even then I had a hunch to stop you, and I felt I had no real reason to suspect you, so... I walked on. Peterson and Joyner were patrolling Johnigan Road. It was just uh, 9.32 when I met Joyner near the middle of the street. I spoke to him and went on. At 9.33, I met Peterson coming back from the other end of the street. I answered his greeting and passed, intending to go to the end of the beat and cut over to Logan Passage. Then, during the few seconds that everyone's back was turned towards the spot where he stood, the killer struck again. Joiner, here. What a. Uh, Good oh, heavens! It's Peterson! Yeah, it's Peterson, dead like the rest of them, strangled right under our noses. Where were you, Joiner? I just reached the end of my beat, Sergeant. was already turning when I heard your whistle. And yeah, I just passed him on my way to Logan. Then we were covering both ends of the street. He must have come from Minnow Street, or Cleming Street, and gone back the same way before we could see him. It is dimly lit around here, sir. Yeah, say, what's up, Constable? I heard. Stand where you
8: are. Oh. It's you, Mr. Newspaper Man. Yes, so he struck again. What happened, Sergeant?
9: I've been checking the beats. I came up here, passing Joyner, and then Peterson here. I was at this end of the street, Joyner that, with Peterson in between us, going towards Joyner. He cried out once, and then was like this. We saw no one.
8: Where were you when you heard my whistle? On Clemming Street, uh, perhaps half a square down, and no one passed that way.
9: That means that he must have come from Minnow.
8: Shall i ring in,
9: sir. Yeah, go ahead, Joyner. Half a square down Clemming
8: Street, were you? That's right.
9: That's where you were more than five minutes ago when I passed, and you were coming this way. Well,
8: I, I thought I saw something in one of the alleys and stopped to look closer. <laughs> oh, now, come, Sergeant, let's not start suspecting each other. The mutual suspicion of this district is catching.
9: Yeah, I suppose it is. Yes, of course. Still, there's a murderer who must be caught. Mr. Newspaper Man? (laughs) The following day, I was back on duty early. You know, the sight of a uniformed sergeant somehow gave the people a bit more confidence than that of the constables. Oh, Bobbies are, well, are well enough in their way, but, you know, your average Londoner likes to see more important officials around when things were a bit rough. The talk in the pubs and on the streets was all cut from the same cloth. And the pattern was fear.
10: I say the strangler's some posh who's off his beam. Thinks as how we ain't squeezed dry enough. So he nips over, squeezes a little more, and pops back to the west end. Oh, you're balmy. He's a leg. Didn't he get a peeler last night, and don't that prove it? He's a bleeding Jack the Ripper. That's what he is. And he'll bloody well kill a lot of us without a single bloody flick to stop him. He got a bobby, didn't he? And the bobby's crawling all over the place, and not want to lay a hand on him. And who's to stop him? That's what I want to know. (laughs)
9: I walked the streets, dropping a bit of cheer. Here and there, four or five times, I saw you again, Mr. Newspaper Man. Your dark face twisted with emotion as you listened to the talk. This, too, was queer, for you were the only newspaper man I saw in the whole district. By nine o'clock, I was in Richards Lane, a narrow street, partly a stall market and partly cheap homes. On one side was the shattered wall of the railway yard. The wall of the railway yard put a shadow over the street so that even a garbage can looked like a man crouching. Farther down the street, the outline of the empty market stalls looked like a bunch of ghosts waiting for the man who would send them more ghosts. There was no one on the street, no one to witness that which was about to be. Then... Suddenly, in the time between one footfall and another, the wall of silence was broken.
11: Help! He's here!
9: And then the lane came to life. It seemed like they were all released by that scream. All along the street, doors opened and people poured into the street, muttering as the stored-up anger began to overcome their fear. They milled around, uncertain which way to turn. Then... Then the whistle pointed the direction to them. Gathering like dark clouds, they moved down on the cottage where I stood with the constables. The sight of so many of us made them feel that he would now be caught. And that anger came up in answer to it.
12: Well, go in and get him. What you're waiting for? He's through killing now. Go on and get him, you bloody feelers. He ought to be strung up. That's what i
9: Break I'm it from. up. Break it up. Move back, all of you. Joiner, get around to the back and meet the constables there. Martin, Addison, take the house on the left. Jones, Edmonds, take the house on the right. Betts, you come with me.
12: Save a piece of it for me, Sergeant.
9: Inside the cottage, a whole family lay dead, fallen around the supper table. One look at their necks showed us the stranglers' trademark again, but there was nothing in that cottage... ...except death. One by one, the constables came back to report. Nothing. Once more, he had killed and slipped away. Again, I looked out at the crowd, now beginning to move back... ...as they realized we were empty-handed. Suddenly I saw in the front ranks your face again... ...the newspaper man who seemed to be everywhere I turned. There was a light in your face, a light that was almost happiness. And looking at you in that brief second... I was aware that there were two of us who now knew the identity of the murderer. But the crowd shifted back, began to lose themselves in the shadows, and you were gone before I could move. The strangler had struck again and again. We were empty-handed as we waited for the ambulance.
8: may have been empty-handed, Sergeant, but I'm sure there were enough thoughts in your head to make up for the lack of something to put your hands on. Dark thoughts, perhaps.
9: Yes, I did think, Mr. Newspaper Man. I tried to imagine what you were doing during the next hour. I thought perhaps that you went to the nearest pub and sat alone at the bar, attended by a frightened barmaid. I think you dismissed the strangling horror from your mind and thought only of the glass of stout and the sandwich for even such men as you must rebuild their strength. I think you looked at the sandwich, noticing that it was skimpy, as bar sandwiches usually are, and you may have thought idly of the inventor of the sandwich, the Earl of Sandwich, then of George IV, then of all the Georges, as any good Englishman might, and so to that George who wondered how the apple got into the apple dumpling. It was while thinking of that, and how the ham got into the ham sandwich, that your mind came back to the people who had been murdered. Maybe it was then that you thought of the simplest fact of all, that the murderer could escape by either running away or by standing still. It was then, I think, that you got up from the bar without finishing your sandwich. It was perhaps 20 minutes later that you walked down the street and met the man you were looking for.
8: Well, seen anything of the murderer, Sergeant?
9: Oh. It's you again.
8: Yes. Now?
9: Nor is anybody else
8: and I doubt if they ever will. Oh, no, I don't know. He's already struck five times. I've been thinking about it, and I've got an idea. So? Yes, yes. came to me all of a sudden, and I felt that we'd all been blind. It's been staring us in the face. Oh, has it now? Uh-huh. Well, if you're so
9: sure, why not give us the benefit of it?
8: I'm going to. Yes, yes, it seems quite simple now. But there's still one more point I don't quite understand. I mean the motive. Now, as man to man, tell me, Sergeant Otto Mole. just why did you kill those inoffensive people?
9: Well, to tell the truth, Mr. Newspaper Man, I don't know, but I've got an idea, just like you. Everybody knows we can't control the workings of our mind. Ideas come into our heads without being asked. But everybody's supposed to be able to control his body. Why? We get our minds from heaven knows where, from people who were dead years before we were born, some say. Maybe we get our bodies the same way. Our faces. Our legs. Our hands. They aren't completely ours. And couldn't ideas come into our bodies like ideas come into our minds? Couldn't ideas live in muscles as well as in a brain? Couldn't it be that parts of our bodies aren't really us? And couldn't ideas come into them all of a sudden like ideas come into my hands? (laughs) You see, Mr. Newspaperman...
12: It was...
9: Six. One other thing... the newspaper man did while he was in that pub he'd called his newspaper and told them his idea and said he was coming to meet me. And so, they're hanging me, killing me for something which my hands did. I had nothing to do with it. You can see that. But what hurts me the most is what the judge said when he sentenced me. It's not true. It's not true, I tell you, that if I lived some day these hands, my hands, they say, might reach out
12: for you. <laughs>
7: Thank you, Claude Rains and Vincent Price, for a splendid performance. Mr. Rains and Mr. Price will return in just a moment. Uh, Harrow,
6: you were telling me... Oh, uh... yes, yes. Well, Hap, the next time I saw this fancy fellow, his gadget-laden car was humming and purring up the street as smooth as the slippery glide of a slide trombone. (laughs) I got my auto light resistor spark plugs, he yelled to me as he whirled by, and they're terrific. Well, by Cornelius, this fellow had the right dope. Because friends, when you replace your old narrow gap spark plugs with the wide gap Autolite resistor spark plugs, you can really tell the difference in your car. So if you don't already have a set of Autolite resistor spark plugs, drive down tomorrow to your nearest Autolite dealer and treat your car right. Switch to Autolite. And friends, remember to Autolite means spark plugs. Ignition
5: engineered resistor spark plugs.
6: Autolite means batteries.
5: Stay full batteries.
6: Autolite means ignition system.
5: The lifeline of your car.
7: And now here again is Mr. Claude Rains.
9: The hands of Mr. Ottermole has always been one of my favorite mystery stories. And so it was a great pleasure to be able to play it on Suspense, one of my favorite radio programs. What about you, Vincent?
8: I agree with you on both counts, Claude. And in addition, I found it refreshing to uh, play the murder victim for a change instead of the murderer. Uh, By the way, Claude, what will we be hearing on Suspense next week? A treat
9: you won't want to miss. One of Hollywood's most glamorous stars, Miss Rosalind Russell, in a top story, The Sisters. Another gripping study in...
6: Suspense. Claude Rains will soon be seen in the paramount picture The Sin of Abby Hunt. Vincent Price can currently be seen with Lana Turner, Gene Kelly, and June Allison in Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer's Technicolor production The Three Musketeers. Tonight's suspense play was the famous story by Thomas Burke, adapted for radio by Ken Crossan, with music composed by Lucian Morawieck and conducted by Lud Bluskin. The entire production was under the direction of Anton M. Leder. In the coming weeks, Suspense will present such stars as James Cagney, Ronald Coleman, William Bendix, and others. Make it a point to listen each Thursday to Suspense, radio's outstanding theater of thrills. And next Thursday, same time, hear Rosalind Russell in The Sisters.
4: This is the Autolite Suspense Show. Turn in your scrap steel to your local scrap dealer. The more scrap the more steel. Good night. Switch to Autolite.
6: This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
5: Now, the Roma Wine Company of Fresno, California presents. Suspense.
10: Tonight, Roma Wines bring you Mr. Peter Laurie as star of Nobody Loves Me, a suspense play produced, edited, and directed for Roma Wines by William Spear.
5: in a remarkable tale of Suspense.
12: Hello. Are you guys in charge of this precinct?
6: Well, hello, bright eyes.
12: Who's in charge here?
10: Just a minute. How did you get in?
12: I walked in. Who's the top man here?
10: This is the squad room, son. If you have a complaint, give it to the desk sergeant.
12: No, I don't want to bother him. Sleeping,
10: Jenkins. Sleeping. Boy, will I tell you. Him. Better sit down. Hey, Costello, he's got a gun.
12: Yeah, I got a gun. Sit down.
10: Hey, hey, son, you, you, you must be crazy.
12: Maybe, but I think I know what I'm doing. Well, you,
10: you can't hold up a police station, Mister. No. There's no dough here. No, 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 no. Look, son. Look. Keep your hands up. <sighs> I didn't move.
12: Hey, you. Shift that chair over for me.
10: Yeah, yeah. Okay, Mister.
12: Yeah, I, I have a lot to talk about, and I I want to be comfortable. I've come to tell you Cups a story. Look, mister, this isn't funny. Just tell you a story and, and give you a present. How's that? Oh, oh, what do you mean, a, a, a present? Why, I'm a regular Santa Claus. <laughs> going to give you $10,000. Now, now, look. There is $10,000 reward for the kidnap of Peggy Stewart. Am I right?
8: You, you, you oh, wait, where is she? Where's the girl? uh ah, uh ah,
12: ah. You forget this gun. You also forget I said I was going to tell you a story first. Sit down, Captain. You, you mean you're confessing? Yeah. Story of my life. You get plenty of thrills. You know why? Now look, son, look. Plenty look. of thrills. Because my name is Reese. Joe
10: jo- jo Reese. Then you, you, you killed her. You, 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 oh, you killed
12: so her. You have heard about me. Yes. Killer Reese. Killeries, Captain. Then you admit I got a story. <laughs> I'm going to tell it in my own way. First things first, last things last, and Peggy Stewart comes last. Uh,
10: look, just tell us. Uh, did you kill her, Joe?
12: I start at the beginning. The beginning when I when I was born, and and don't interrupt. Okay, okay, we won't interrupt. Cause you see, I I think a lot about when I was born. Well, maybe somebody loved me then. Maybe when I, when I sucked in my first breath of air and let out a yell, maybe my mother loved me. Maybe she wished I was dead. She didn't live long enough for me to find out. But after she died, it was like I was just shoved clean out of the world. Shoved off to an aunt in an uncle who had the meanest, grimiest, stinkingest little souls even you fellows could hope to meet. Yeah, and Ella and Uncle Walter. Oh, they were a pair.
11: <laughs>
12: Why, they even looked alike. Faces like rotting cabbages, and their mean little mouths yapping away in the middle of them. Those two would have eaten the heart out of a saint. But I was so little when I went there, I, I didn't even know what I was missing. Until one day, when I was about nine, I, I found a kitten, a dirty, sick little kitten.
10: Joe, Joe Rees, what you got there? Just a little cat. How do you speak to me?
11: I mean, Mom.
10: We found it down the alley, mother, back of the fish store. Well, you get it out of here, Joe. You get it out quick. I told you, Joe. Please, ma'am, it... You hear me? It won't eat much. Please. Oh. You hear me? You get it out of here. Dirty thing. And if I see it again, Uncle Walt will beat the stuffing out of you.
12: Yes, ma'am.
10: Ought to kill it. Would, too, but it would turn my stomach. Now get both of you. Yes, mother. What you gonna do with it, Joe?
12: I don't know. Nothing.
10: We could have some fun, I bet.
12: Tie something to its tail. No, I don't want to. Might as well, we could have some fun. No, I said. Say, feel. Yeah? What about it? It's buzzing inside, like machinery. Oh, that's purring. Purring? Sure, cats do that when they're glad. It's glad? About what? Bet it thinks you're going to feed it. Oh, yes. What do cats eat, Cousin Alex? You ain't going to keep it. Sure I'm going to keep it. I'm going to keep it somewhere she don't know. You're crazy. I'm not. I'm going to keep it. It likes me. That's why. Likes you? A cat? Then why is it buzzing? Purring? Sure it likes me. Oh, it doesn't. It's hungry. I'll stop it purring. Look. What you doing, Alex? Watch when I twist its tail. No, don't. (coughs) Hey. Hey. Hey, now look what you've done. See? Now it ain't purring. Oh. Joe! Joe, what are you doing to? It clawed me. It clawed me, and now it's scared. It clawed me. It's scared. You ever feel a kitten? What it's really like? A skinny little kitten? Why, it's nothing but fur... Soft and in a head and its backbone is, is like a thin string of beads Curled just so When it's scared its eyes stare All one color and its neck is thin Thinner than a match Like a string of beads Just nothing between your fingers Just nothing! <laughs>
10: Suspense, Roma Wines are bringing you as star Mr. Peter Laurie in Nobody Loves Me by Herbert Clyde Lewis and Sylvia Richards. Roma Wines' presentation tonight in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense.
5: Between the acts of suspense, this is Truman Bradley for Roma Wines. This holiday weekend, millions of Americans will return to the traditional way of observing Labor Day, by having friends in for dinner. That's why Elsa Maxwell makes the most appropriate suggestion. She says, we have good reason to celebrate Labor Day this year. So make your holiday entertaining really festive by enjoying good Roma wine. At dinner, serve Roma, California Burgundy, cool. This splendid wine, so delightful, delicious, distinguished, lends charm and flavor magic to any meal. Yes, as Elsa Maxwell says, you'll enjoy the delicate piquancy and fruity, robust taste of Roma Burgundy. Only Roma gives you the goodness of luscious grapes from California's choicest vineyards, gathered at peak of flavor, gently pressed, then unhurriedly, guided to flavor perfection by Roma's ancient winemaking skill. And finally, bottled right at the winery. Roma wines are always unvaryingly good, yet cost only pennies a glass. Remember, because of uniformly fine quality at reasonable cost, more Americans enjoy Roma than any other wine. R-O-M-A, Roma Wines. And now,
10: Roma Wines bring back to our Hollywood soundstage... Peter Lorre in Nobody Loves Me. A narrative well calculated to keep you in... Suspense.
12: It never turned my stomach. It was always easy. Very easy.
11: Uh,
10: Yes, but Joe, uh, where, where did you leave the girl, Peggy?
12: Didn't I tell you not to interrupt... I'm telling you what I have to tell. Cats first and girls last. I... I sat in the backyard holding the dead kitten and... it was soft for a long time. Next day, it was stiff and hard and it's fur. Funny, uh, a kid nine years old even knew about killing, but... what I knew... cause... when I was more than four, I... I saw Uncle Walter kill a chicken. I saw his mean... String his shoulders, jump, when he brought the axe down. You know, that's how I knew, because because watching Uncle Walter, I I could tell he he liked to kill. Liked it way down inside of him. And I hated him. So whenever I killed anything or anybody, after that, I I was killing Uncle Walter and everybody like him. I hated him. I hated him till he died.
10: Joe, come here. Your poor Uncle Walt is passing on, and I want you to see him before he goes. Joe. Yes, ma'am. Don't say a word unless he speaks to you.
12: I won't.
0: Go stand on the other side of the bed.
10: Oh, listen to the blessed man fighting for his life. Just listen to him.
12: Yes, I listen. Oh, did I listen. And I only wished he knew he was dying. I wanted to tell him. I wanted to say, You are dying, Uncle Walter. And I'm wishing you did. That's why... I'm strangling the wind out of your turkey neck. I'm burying a knife in your filthy heart. I am doing it. Me,
10: Joe.
12: Oh, look at him.
10: I... I think he's going to speak.
12: Oh, no, no. No, he's not.
10: Oh, Oh, he's dead. He's gone.
12: Yeah, he's gone.
10: Oh, that blessed, saintly man. Joe, you'll never know how much he did for you. You'll never be able to thank him. he He's in heaven now.
12: Yeah, I bet.
10: Don't you understand, Joe? Your poor Uncle Walter's dead.
12: Sure, I understand.
10: Then can't you say something?
12: Sure. Uncle Walter's dead. Fifteen years! Too late for me! One day after that, I mashed a toad under a rock. And there was a white dog I caught in a fence, in a corner, and, and threw stones at it, dozens of stones. Each day I killed one thing, and some things died quick, and some died slow. But I, I always felt the same. I felt good. I found there was room in the world for a bright young fellow like me. There was work to spare for a man who didn't mind killing. A hundred bucks a job I could get. Sometimes more. Hey, pick up that pencil, fatty. Yeah, you, sergeant. I'll give you a list. Well, uh, there was the Bresco brothers. All three of them. <laughs> a guy named Lyons who was two-timing somebody's wife. Oh, and that chorus, babe. Daisy, me, Marks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She got her fingers in a wrong pie. Yeah. Izzy Turnbull, the weasel. Yeah. An old codger named Haskett. We call him the... Yeah, ear. yeah, yeah that, that's enough of them, Joan. Uh, please... Where'd you leave the girl? I'll get around to her. Where'd you kill her, Joe? I am telling this. It's my story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure, Joe. Because sure. it all happened different with Peggy Stewart. See, I wasn't supposed to kill her. The boy sent me around to case the Stewart house for a kidnapping. It was all I was supposed to do, find out who was in the house and when the girl was alone. It was a big job. Why, well, with her father owning half the estate and holding a mortgage on the rest, we... We expected it to pay off plenty. Yes, sir? I'm looking for work.
6: There's nothing here.
12: Oh, I thought maybe raking the yard or or I can drive. No,
6: there isn't anything.
12: Is there anyone else here I could ask? Horace?
4: Horace, who are you talking
6: to? It's a young fellow, Miss Peggy, looking for work. Oh.
4: What kind of work?
12: Oh, anything, ma'am, anything at all. You see, I'm going to college and I... I just want some work for the summer, and I have a bad back, so I I can't do anything heavy.
4: Oh, I see. Well, maybe we have something. I'll ask my father. Miss Pig! Father isn't home right now, but if you want to wait...
12: Oh, sure, sure, I'll wait.
4: You can come inside, Mr... Uh...
12: Sanders. Joe Sanders.
4: Well, come in, Joe. Horace was about to give me my lunch. Maybe you'd like to eat with me. (laughs)
12: So for more than an hour, I was on the inside, looking out, just for once. It did things to me. That room, all sunshiny where we ate, blue dishes, the food cooked in little dabs, and so good. I was just boiling with heat. I couldn't look at her, at the girl, or talk. She didn't seem to notice what was happening to me. That's what really got me. She didn't once look scared, hey you you ever see Miss Peggy? She's little, all curved and little and bright and soft, even her voice is soft. I'd never known anybody like her except people in books I read in a in a modern library. You know her I, I couldn't take it i- I want to make her like the other girls I'd known make her get that look in her eyes.
4: You're not eating, Joe. Huh?
12: Oh. Uh, I've been thinking.
4: Oh.
12: Aren't you scared? Scared? Being alone like this with a with a fellow you don't even know?
4: <laughs> scared of you?
12: Lots of girls are. Huh?
4: Why? Are you dangerous?
12: I don't know. Lots of girls think I am. There must be something in it.
4: You you mean you're a wolf?
12: No, no, I I don't mean it that way.
4: Well, if you are, I think you're a nice wolf, the nicest I know.
12: It's not what I mean. Anyway, you—you you just don't know me.
4: It's funny. I feel like I do. I feel I've known you for a long time. What? What's the matter, Joe? Mm, uh,
12: n- nothing. Nothing is the matter. Guess I'd better be going.
4: But aren't you going to wait for Father? He'll be here pretty soon.
12: No, I—I I guess I'd better not wait. But—but
4: but you said you—you you... You
12: see, I. I just remembered I I got to be someplace uh, at 2 o'clock.
4: Oh, well, if you come back tomorrow, I...
12: That's it. Uh, yes, uh, I'll come back tomorrow.
4: Maybe that'll be even better. I can talk to Father tonight about you. Then I'm sure he'll give you a job.
12: Sure, you you do that. That'll be swell.
4: But you will come back. Promise?
12: Oh, well, sure, sure. I'll come back. <laughs> I couldn't figure it out, how a girl like her could be with me and not be scared. And after I practically warned her too, you you can see how I tried to warn her, but but she, she, she just looked at me, at my eyes, my eyes, and hers stayed just the same, blue and soft, like she was looking at anyone. Hey, there, there is killing in my eyes, lots of killing. Well, anyone can see that. But then, and it hit me. I had to make her scared. I had to get her to look at me in a beautiful, naked way from back, deep in her head. Her blue eyes, all glazed, all over, all, one color. Well, I... I got my car out and drove back to her house. It was night already, and there were lights on, and windows were open, and this time I went right to the front door.
4: I'll go, Father. Mm -hmm. What? What, Joe?
12: Hello, Miss Peggy.
4: Did did you come to see Father tonight? I, I haven't talked to him yet.
12: No, I... I came to see you.
4: Well, that's nice, Joe. I, I
12: I came to get you. Get me? Sure, don't you remember? I came back, like you said. Going to take you away.
4: Like yeah. I said.
12: Yes, yeah, see? Now you're getting that look. Now you're beginning to look at me the, the right way. Don't, Joe. You're hurting me. No, no, I'm not hurting you, Peggy. Not much yet. Just enough so you'll look up at me like something in a trap. It won't hurt much more when I kill you.
4: When you, Joe,
12: Joe, please. That's what I said when I kill you. Oh no! It won't. It won't, it won't, it won't. I dumped her in the front seat, and after I got the car in higher, she didn't move anymore. She sat there with her big eyes staring at the road I didn't talk anymore I I thought fast and I drove fast I, I thought how it was going to be killing her and I was still thinking when we got to the hideout huh? where it is? oh it's up in the mountains and I like it there it's nothing but a shed but someone had a house there once and there are still lilac bushes and roses lots of roses when I lifted her out of the car to carry her into the shed I could smell the lilacs there was just enough moon to see her face
4: you don't have to carry me I can walk
12: just the same I I carry you That's, that's part of the fun for me you don't want to spoil my fun. Where are we? What difference does it make?
4: No difference.
12: <laughs> then don't ask so many questions. You you won't see much of it anyway. Okay. Inside. Walk straight ahead and stand still.
4: It's, It's dark.
12: I got a candle. There. Now get over there and sit down. On the floor? Yes, on the floor. What do you want? All the comforts of home? Of your beautiful, clean, bright, wonderful home? Well, why don't you tell me what you want?
4: Joe, what's the matter? What did I do to you?
12: Nothing. You did nothing to me.
4: Then then why are you... Why, Joe?
12: Go on, say it. Why am I going to kill you? Yes. It's a very foolish question. I got to kill you. But why? I got to talk to you, watch your eyes, and tell you a lot of things. I got to hold you.
4: Please, Joe. I
12: got to know how how you feel before you die. Hold you like this. Do you love me, Peggy? Do you? Love you? Sure. That's what I asked.
4: Of course not. Of course I don't love you.
12: You see? Nobody loves me. Nobody ever loved me. Maybe a cat once. Everyone hates me, Peggy.
4: But I don't hate you either.
12: See, see that's funny. I I just thought of something. You know what?
4: Joe, how I, can no, you? No, this is
12: important. Listen, it, it's this way. I, I used to live here in a shack week sometimes, and I'd read books. Oh, good books. Modern library. Do you know about them?
4: yes. I know.
12: Well, you you can get any book, and and it's only a buck. It's less than a buck, the best, see? Yes. So I read something by a man who is called Oscar Wilde. And he says, Each man kills the thing he loves. It's in a modern library. Each man kills the thing he loves. Maybe that's what I am doing.
4: No, Joe. You don't love me.
12: You don't get it. Like I said, nobody loves me, but I get love anyway. I get something like love, because when I start to kill you, Peggy, there there won't be anyone else in the world for you but me. No one else will matter. And then, then your eyes, they'll get shiny. Oh, so shiny. And they'll blaze, and and they'll blue will spread out. That's why I'm going to kill you, Peggy. Oh, it'll be... It'll be so easy. There won't be anything in them but me. All I got to do is... is take you and Nick in my hands like this. Hey, Peggy, I'm going to kill you. You heard me say that. I'm going to kill you now. Why don't you rise, eyes...
4: poor Joe? What? What did you say? You've been hurt. You've been terribly hurt, poor Joe. I'm sorry. <laughs>
12: Well, that's it. But uh where did you leave the body, Joe? What are you talking about? A- after you killed her. Who said I killed her? Why, you said that you Listen, you old bonehead. That's what it's all about. That's why I came in here to give myself up. See? See, nobody ever loved me except except that cat, and when he got scared it clawed me and, and I had to kill it. But Miss Peggy, she she wasn't scared. don't get it. Miss Piggy looked at me and... and into me and through me and... she knew what I was. Rotten. But she said, poor Joe. (laughs) To me. Joe Reese. (laughs) I figured uh, that was as close as I'd ever get to, love. Uh, Why, I figured it was enough. (laughs) Go ahead, answer it, Sergeant. Guess that's her father saying she's home. And then you can lock me up, Captain. I need sleep. I'm dead for sleep.
10: Roma Wines have brought you Peter Lorre, a star of Nobody Loves Me. Tonight's study in. Suspense!
5: This is Truman Bradley for Roma Wines, the sponsor of Suspense. Visiting friends in the family car is once again a popular American custom. And as Elsa Maxwell said just last week, be prepared when people drop in unexpectedly. A smart way to entertain, a sure way to cool off and delight your guests, is to serve refreshing Roma Wine and Soda. A frosty, cold, iced drink that really quenches thirst. Yes, and Roma Wine and Soda, made with distinguished Roma California Burgundy or Sauterne is quick and easy to make. Just half-fill tall glasses with good Roma Burgundy or Sauterne. Add ice cubes, sparkling water, and a bit of sugar. And, for a decorative touch, garnish with cherries or fruit. Here's another delightfully different taste treat. Try Roma Sweet Vermouth, well chilled. A delicious aperitif. Zestful, full-flavored Roma Vermouth is blended and developed with all the traditional winemaking skill of Roma wineries. It's made and bottled in the heart of California's famous vineyards, yet surprisingly low-priced. Try
12: Roma Vermouth soon, won't you? This is Peter Laurie. I want to remind you to be sure not to miss next Thursday's suspense show will be a repeat performance by popular demand. Sorry, wrong number. That's the famous radio play about the woman on the telephone in which Miss Agnes Moorhead gives such an overwhelming performance.
10: Peter Lorre appeared through the courtesy of Warner Brothers and will soon be seen in their
5: production, Three Strangers. A word from our government. Despite the lifting of some restrictions, travel is still tight in many parts of the country and over many railroads used by the armed forces. Play safe by staying off crowded trains during the coming Labor Day holiday.
10: Next Thursday, you will hear Agnes Moorhead as star of Suspense, radio's outstanding
5: theater of thrills. Presented by Roma Wines, R-O-M-A. Made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
0: <laughs> well guys that does it for mr peter lori mr boris karloff and mr vincent price in the monsters tell the story part three i hope you guys enjoyed Our presentation of Spooktober Part 3. Please join me this coming tonight, guys, as I bring to the show Miss Lucille Ball and Mr. Richard Denning in the CBS comedy show, My Favorite Husband. And join me this coming Monday night for Halloween night as I bring Mr. Orson Welles back to the program for our Count Dracula episode for Halloween and then join me at Halloween night as I bring to the show back my popular demand Bud Abbott and Lou Costello in the adventures of Abbott and Costello and then join me Next Tuesday, as I bring to the show the Queen of Suspense herself, Miss Agnes Moorhead, and many others to the show. If you like the show, please comment and subscribe, guys. And always remember to enjoy the show. Thanks.